0: Welcome to Security Architecture Podcast, where we help cybersecurity professionals to stay ahead of the curve and ensure they are successful in their cybersecurity journey.
1: Hi, I'm Evgeny. I'm Dimitri. We have a pleasure today to talk to Ganesh from Optics. Ganesh, can you please tell us about yourself and the company?
2: Evgeny and Dimitri, a pleasure to be here. I represent Optics out here on the show. We are a Boston-based venture in the growth stage. We are, of course, in the business of cybersecurity, which is why we are conversing with you. But We provide a unique approach for doing cloud infrastructure security and endpoint security. And I'm sure as the conversation rolls, we'll discuss a lot more about what we do.
0: Ganesh, what is Cena means from your perspective?
2: First off, CNAP is a very long acronym, right? And if you were to look at it in terms of the way it's been coined, it, of course, stands for Cloud Native Application Protection Platform. What it really means, at least from our lens is in the modern world, if the cliche software is eating the world, where is it produced and where is it operationalized? And how do you get that full spectrum visibility across that, build the software and deploy it? And if application is the software, how do you like secure it using a cloud native constructs? That's what TNAP is all about and can give you a little bit more color on what we do about it in a few minutes, but at least that's our take and interpretation of what it means to be a provider of CNAP platform services.
1: Thank you. As you probably know, or catch the name, we are focused about security architecture. So we definitely want to dive in and understand about the architecture solution, how it's working, and what's included.
2: As a venture, what we do before I share the technology and the architecture, we try to address three basic things for two asset categories which are relevant to our customer base, which is their cloud infrastructure security and their endpoint security. But fundamentally, what we do is three pillars. We allow our customers to figure out what is it that they have. Second, to what we discussed earlier, it's all about posture management. You want to understand whether you have your misconfigurations and you've got your hygiene right. And third, we super-specialize, once you know what you have in your hygiene is good, what can you do from the perspective of detection and response? Now, what's very unique is the technology and the IP that we've built as a venture, which allows us to specialize in terms of how we protect our customers at UpTeX, the intellectual property and the architecture that we've built can be decomposed into three parts. First part is we built a series of high-quality sensors and connectors. These sensors and connectors abstract the attack surface, and these are all in production operations today, and it allows us to get telemetry in three different sections. One, we have an excellent understanding about the configuration of a cloud, a configuration of a Kubernetes environment, or about a container runtime environment, or a Mac or a Windows developer's laptop. We don't believe in the world of logs because logs do not necessarily convey information. Instead, we've built these connectors which can run without any kind of an agent, or the sensor can be run in an agent or agentless mode. When the telemetry is extracted we push it into a cloud which is based on a security data lake model but the importance of structured telemetry is that it is a etl-free pipeline and given your audience people will appreciate that extract transform and load is a very expensive proposition because when you send logs over you need to index logs and try to figure things out instead our approach for imparting structure at the source facilitates an approach where we can do streaming analytics when the data is in flight. It allows us to store data using columnar compression and other techniques. The net result of this is that we can do analytics while data is in flight, as well as using big data techniques such as storing it using columnar storage. But really, what we do at the end of the day is we pull out insights for our customers and we align it with the security controls that customers expect to be deployed in their organizations. And if you see at the outcomes, we facilitate risk reduction from our detection cloud platform by providing specific use cases which are very targeted to the security controls one needs, right? Hopefully, this sets the stage as to how we've taken a very modern approach for observability driven paradigm to accomplish cybersecurity.
1: This is a very interesting, quite a lot of things involved here. So from the architecture perspective, are you more public cloud, private cloud? How it's actually design? How do you connect to other people' clouds to ingest information or the telemetry in your case?
2: Great question. For us, the way we've invested our resources towards making this happen, public versus private cloud is a foregone conclusion. It's not a choice, it's the desire to support both because as you can imagine, due to all the digital transformation underway, some of them are cloud native, others are still hybrid in the cusp of transition. For us, the fundamental thesis is that telemetry can be extracted both on-prem or from cloud native attack surfaces and transmitted securely over a TLS connection to a location And if you can do so with the effective, very low latency and high frequency and speed, you then have the ability to apply analytics on that data to draw conclusions in that. right. So that model, fundamentally based on a distributed network using TLS connectivity and scaling techniques of TLS that we've learned from our content delivery technology background, allows us to play shift the actual analytics in the cloud, but to use the endpoints, the workloads, or the connectors simply as a source of high-fidelity telemetry, right? That's what differentiates us, and it makes the argument of private versus public environments literally go away.
0: Very interesting. I'm wondering, what is the F word to onboard your tool by a typical customer?
2: The effort is very low, depends on what the customer would like to accomplish. So if you were to take very specifically the idea of cloud workloads and apply the three things as your requirements, if you need to understand what is it that you have, the effort is the least because you simply connect to your cloud provider API and suddenly information starts coming in about your configuration, your cloud trail activity. And you can do a lot of things around visibility to know what you have and do security and posture management. Very straightforward, really quick. Second, you want to start getting visibility into the workloads. And this is where there are two important considerations. One, to understand where your configurations audit and your vulnerabilities lie, you can do so using the agentless mode because today it's almost par for the course that you can get access to the block storage system of the virtual machines. And by scanning that and mounting it, you get some visibility about your posture. But what you will not get in such an environment is the behavioral threat. Now, if you want to up the ante and get into behavioral detection, then you need a sensor inside the runtime, right? So connecting is very straightforward. You can get going within a matter of hours, if not minutes. And for the second part, as you start thinking about the agentless mode and start scanning for what's there inside, it might take a little bit longer, And of course, if you have a large workload and you want to deploy hundreds of thousands of sensors to get deep behavioral pattern, it might take a few additional days to weeks to get going. Right? Depends on what you're trying to accomplish. It can be as quickly as in the order of few hours, or it might be a few days to a few weeks.
0: So it depends how deep you want to go with your defense in depth.
2: That's a very accurate way of putting it because if you are of the inclination that once you know what you have and you've improved your hygiene, which you might want to do at least to make sure that you're compliant, you might get a lot of value immediately out of that. And that is something that can be accomplished very quickly. Beyond that, you still get the value if you have the ability and you do really good DevSecOps to say that whether you bake your images into AMI, you use Chef Puppet Ansible to push things out, then all of that time needed to start doing the analytics around the behavioral changes can be order of hours too, but can be order of days too because in reality people take a little bit of time when the entire DevOps team has to be involved to update images.
0: Nice. So what kind of policies and what level of permissions does your platform needs to access the customer environments in the cloud or on-prem?
2: Great question. Majority of what needs to be done can be done so with read-only permissions. And as you can imagine, cloud is where the crown jewels of an organization, especially when you use the word CNAP, it's highly applicable towards organizations which have an application to secure which they might have built in-house. And they're very cognizant and sometimes very concerned about providing privileges which might alter the state of the cloud. However, if you get read-only permissions either based on a formation script at the API level or even if you deploy the sensor, you're reading only and you're very low probability that you might alter anything. However, if you want to extend that as a part of your response or as remediations or as a part of your audit findings, you need to go change something, then you need more policies which allow you to change the state. And that's always earned as a function of time when you've established trust with the customer partner. Makes
1: sense. I'm wondering with the move of the native IIS solutions, so providers like AWS, Azure, GCP to have their own tool, Azure Security Center... Azure Copilot was announced recently and AWS Security Hub. What's the difference between what they do and you do? And are you more to replace them or to augment them?
2: That's a great question, by the way. Let's talk about the topic du jour about Copilot. Copilot probably is going to be one of those interesting things which might shape as to like how we effectively do SOC analyst complementary work and things like that. But where we sit is at more at a foundational level and we have the ability to help with multiple scenarios because if you have the telemetry from your attack surfaces, you're in a good position, even if you generate the alerts from them or at a raw level to train a brain of some kind, which is usually a general purpose transformer because all telemetry these days is going to be in some kind of a JSON format with a schema to go which means that it is very conducive to some sort of a training, right? So if you were to think that the end goal is to see how you can leverage artificial intelligence beyond just machine learning, then it starts with a fundamental level where what we provide is very foundational in nature. And we, of course, can then feed it to a platform of your choice and you can leverage more. Today, where we stand is a few challenges with the cloud service providers and their security models, their evolutions. Take AWS as an example, while they have the constructs of things at organization level, their fundamental unit about what was being sold was AWS account in the past. Even if they provide tooling, they had very little tooling to go across organization. Now, to your point, they've started providing AWS hub and other services. But these tend to be more sim-centric in nature, and their goal is to ingest Events which happen in various sources and do broader correlation. We, on the other hand, are more like a detection and response technology at a fundamental asset category level. And we take raw telemetry, but we draw conclusions from the raw telemetry in a place-shifted manner, as opposed to doing exclusively on the endpoint. The endpoint telemetry is sent to us and we do things with it. And then we generate the alerts, which might be more valuable in the context of a broader investigation or correlation, and we send it to the Sentinels or we send it to the AWS security hubs and the like, right? So they are at the next year, which they're probably doing broader base visibility across a lot more things, but for a certain set of asset categories in the context of CNAP and XDR is what we specialize in and the context we provide, the alert we provide in the richness of data. Hopefully these will hydrate the other systems that you mentioned, and that's how we see the progression.
0: Okay, I'm thinking here about the case. We learned that you do have an agent as part of addressing the cloud workload capabilities. And this agent, what kind of features, what kind of power it has once you install it? You just mentioned that you have also incident response capabilities, right? Is that something that provides as well? I appreciate you asking that because it allows
2: me to highlight a couple of differentiators. The sensor that we've built works with high fidelity and frequency to capture three aspects of a runtime. Now it can operate in an agentless mode or it can operate in the actual runtime. The way it works is first part, it goes and figures out what is the configuration, what kind of software, and what does what's there on an actual workload or runtime. Second, it taps into the heart of the operating system where there are interfaces such as K-Audit or EBPF, where you have the ability to get information about system calls from an operating system level. Today, specifically, if you look at it in the context of a Linux kernel, there might be around 270 different system calls, out of which 20 or 25 system calls are very meaningful in the context of detection and response. These might be like fork, exec, accept, connect, right? So you have the ability to use eBPF and other techniques to tap into the runtime to say, if there's a behavioral change, a software is being launched, or someone modified a file, How is that represented from the kernel level, independent of containers and any kind of a runtime? And then the last part is, are there in and out flows out of the system? Because that could potentially, whether it's a DNS level thing, or it could be a socket at an IP level tells you that there's some communication going on. So the config, the behavioral changes and the flow are three fundamental telemetry aspects which allows us to solve for a wide variety of use cases. Now to answer your second part of the question, the configuration tells us about misconfig's and allows us to do audit and compliance to benchmark against CIS. The behavioral telemetry about software being launched and all of that can be correlated using reputation databases, but more importantly, it can be mapped into miter-based techniques and tactics and then allow you to score to say that against a miter-like reference, Are you seeing any kind of threats to do like detection? And then finally, because we have an approach where telemetry is being stored at a fundamental level, many times your detection rules or your ability to figure things, you may not have done that upfront, but you have the comfort that if you have a data lake where all the behavior is being captured, post-breach scenario, the biggest thing that organizations want to make sure is that they reduce the dwell time. Having that information to go back and look at the flight recorder of what was happening on all the systems empowers the last part of what you said, whether it's forensics investigation or incident response because something happened. And how quickly might you be able to react
0: to that? It's very important to connect all the dots if you want to react properly. And that sounds like what you're doing. Absolutely.
1: This brings an interesting topic. You're collecting a lot of juicy data. And I'm sure there are companies that very. Concern about the data, and right now, from my understanding, your architecture is deployed in your own cloud. I'm sure some customers ask, can we deploy your architecture in our own cloud? This way we have the data, and we can protect the data, and not just you have the data.
2: Great question, and this comes up quite often, as you can imagine, in highly regulated environments, or if you are a part of... Some of the initiatives which are important to the nation at large, it's just not a regulation as in a large fintech, but government-related mandates such as ITAR and others imply that it has to be delivered from a private VPC. And depending on some cases, what we do is as follows. One, we've built a system which is based on API first. And second, we don't hold hostage the schema of the data or forwarding of the entire control plane. Of course, we transmit all of the findings about alerts, compliance reports, but the raw telemetry also, we make sure that it's in an open structured format and make it available. One way to reduce and address this topic that you said is to reduce the retention window within a cloud such that access to that information is very limited and it gives some people a little bit of comfort. Above and beyond if you are someone who is very substantial for a wide variety of reasons and wants to partner with us, we also sometimes entertain the possibility of doing a private VPC-based managed offering so that you have a siloed repository of data in a dedicated VPC versus a multi-tenant solution. Of course, that goes with the usual operation challenges and all that, but having that option gives a lot of comfort to the customers.
0: Ganesh? Attacks on the cloud, they're usually very sudden, very quick. Can you provide new real-time identification of risks, comparing to the usual periodic scans? What's
2: your approach to this? Great question. There are two things to consider, because when there is a behavioral change in the cloud, and it becomes three areas of consideration if you start factoring in Kubernetes and containers. One, yes you're right there is this scanning of the image which is like next to impossible to do any behavioral detection but the behavioral detection and mean time to know mean time to respond mean time to detect are all based on the premise that how quickly can you get access to a change in behavior a change in behavior doesn't mean it's malicious but when you take a change in behavior and you correlate it and you set up a bunch of rules based on a standard such as mitre might tell you that there is something which is a leading indicator of malicious activity. Now, what we've done as a venture and what we've specialized in is how quickly can we get access to the telemetry about a behavioral change and make it available for analytics. What that specifically implies is, as applied to the control plane, getting access to the CloudTrail data. And when CloudTrail data comes, you have the necessary set of rules. Today, we have our own YAML-based engine, which is very rich. And of course, we'll be augmenting that to standards such as Yara, and Sigma to say that when you get CloudTrail activity, can you detect there is something going on out there? Same is true if you use a Kubernetes. The Kubernetes cluster API's audit trail tells you about the behavioral change your Kubernetes cluster is undergoing. And then from the runtime, either as a daemon set on the node of a container or at a virtual machine level by tapping into the eBPF infrastructure of most modern Linux kernels or k-audit infrastructure of older kernels, we have the ability to get all the system call, which tells you software is launched, connections are being made, software launch has certain hashes, right? So this information is what we capture at not real time, as fast as it happens. And I would say close to real time and we transmit it. And the efficiencies that we've come up with is within four seconds of an actual system call being launched, you have the ability to detect in the cloud to say, is this something bad? And then you can do that in a very scalable manner because you've kept the runtime decoupled and you're keeping the efficiencies there, but you're place shifting the logic, but transmitting that information really quickly. That's what we've been able to do. And that allows us to do anywhere from milliseconds to sub-second basis to like start drawing some conclusions on the behavior to say, is this bad?
1: I want to kind of switch a bit from technology to business because it's great to buy an amazing technology so that will do everything for you but at the end of the day the customer don't have an unlimited budget and i personally believe that as part of the vendor approach they need to help the customer with the business case and roi so return on investment what do you guys do in the area how do you guys approach this
2: That's a great topic and i can give you a couple of anecdotes hopefully that will provide you some perspective the end goal of Majority of our partnership with a customer is towards reducing risk. And risk is something which is far more easily quantifiable in the context of, let's say, a financial organization. If a payment processor today might be on an average, say, processing a trillion dollars a year, which means that they're probably processing close to $3 billion per day through their system. And depending on what their slice of the pie is, if it's like a half a percentage point or thereabouts, you're talking about significant sums of tens of millions of dollars which are under consideration. So for them, it's very easy to quantify the risk and say that if this is attributable to an outage of the system, what's their loss? But it's far more challenging if that loss is attributable to an outage, which is a result of a cybersecurity-related challenge. Then the reputation risk far outweighs the actual dollar amount outage. So, in those kind of arenas, it becomes a little bit easier for people to understand what's at risk to then say, how do we make sure that we have sufficient technology? Now, the second part of the equation, as you can imagine, due to budgets and all other challenges, the question always comes up what is the efficacy of the solution that you're putting, and how do you make sure that there is sufficient validation of the value? And if you were to look at it from that end context, there are two things under consideration. One is not necessarily risk, but things which are based on proactive security measures, which are very prescriptive in nature, right? You can do a lot of things right to ensure that your risk is lowered if you were to make sure that you audit yourself against CIS benchmarks, you figure out the misconfigurations. You do a really good job at making sure that you know what you have and you look against your vulnerabilities and try to patch them. These, you don't need magic. It's going through and making sure you do step-by-step getting your basics right. So that addresses one part and there are very good standards which tell you how good is your hygiene and frameworks which tell you how to do that. And the second part, which is more challenging, is the efficacy of your detection and response. If you do get breached, which might be inevitable given the circumstances and the world we live in, how quickly can you reduce the dwell time so that you can make an informed decision for response? And to that end, typically you want to partner using a purple teaming like service to ensure that you're doing things in a right way. Benchmark yourself against mitre coverage to see like how well did you fare relative to a set of attacks that your purple teaming engagement did and how good is the efficacy of your detection capabilities, right? So between threats and arguably vulnerabilities and misconfiguration, proactive security, this is how I see people try to gauge and present things up in a way to their board or to the stakeholders to say, what is it that we have and is it effective or not? It is a bit long-winded, but hopefully it gives you some perspective about how people in finance might approach it and how in general, some of our customers approach it.
0: Interesting. on a daily basis, we see how machine learning and AI technologies are transforming the digital world. Many companies using such solutions to increase their efficiency and the detection capabilities in the cybersecurity realm. Is there anything that you're using machine learning for in your products?
2: Yes, we've spent a lot of time first in terms of how do we harness the power of telemetry in terms of getting it, making sure that it's reliable and it can be relied upon for solving the next problem, which you aptly bring up because your outcomes are only as good as the quality of the data and its reliability is to ensure that it actually captured the behavioral change. We've started using it in multiple contexts. A couple of things in our large customers' base is that they have multiple business units developing a lot of software, which is bucketed into in-house software, which is opinionated in nature in correspondence with the logic of the business. And then there is a lot of infrastructure software like Hadoop and all of that. How do you at scale identify what falls in what bucket so that you can improve is one area? Second, due to the volume and velocity of cloud related changes, you start looking at cloud trail activity and all of that. It's enormous amount of volume, because if you have someone who's got like hundreds of accounts and hundreds of thousands of machines, there's no way that you can humanly interpret what's going on. But there are patterns in there where you can use statistics, regression, and even SQL aggregate techniques to figure out. Where are people logging in from? Do they log in from this window of time? So there's the ability to do this outlier type of detection. And then to the topic which we discussed earlier, as we start getting alerts and all of that, of course, this is something we have to do with great caution is how do we start integrating with the copilots of the future? Because the co-pilots can tell you in a similar situation with the context of your alert. What should be a good practice, right? It's about the end of the day to improve the efficiency of the SOC team and the analysts who rely on the tooling to make sure that they can do their job. So the goal is to provide assistance using these various approaches.
0: It's interesting that you bring it up that the system will make the recommendation, I'm assuming, to the SOC analyst and not going to do his job.
2: Yeah, we believe in that because despite all the hype, it's in an early stage, right? There is something to be said that if the brain was trained based on the past, It definitely can't predict the future, but what it can tell you based on the past here is what someone else did. And maybe this will be helpful to you. So that's the expectation. Only time will say whether these general purpose transformers are truly brains, which can start calibrating their own thoughts. Today, they have to be trained and best case, they can give you prior context and respond based on what they were trained in the past. It's not, they're not trained for the future.
0: Makes sense.
1: I want to go back to technology a bit. We spoke about different technology aspects in the cloud providers like Kubernetes containers. I don't think we touch serverless like Lambda, for example, function in Azure. Do you guys have an approach and protections there as well?
2: Yes, absolutely. So this comes down to an area where a lot of it is constrained and tied to what the actual infrastructure provider is willing to give you. In the past, on the runtime side, you got visibility into Fargate as an example, using very rudimentary techniques because they built a specialized virtual machine where the sole access for behavioral changes was constrained to P-trace-based system calls. which, while it was the state of the art to run some of these Fargate-based tasks, was not really practical, right? However, Amazon has realized, and now they've come out with EBPF-based detections. But it accentuates the point that when you start getting into the runtime of some of these environments, not just us as a technology provider, but as a user of the technology, one is at the mercy of the serverless or whatever to provide the runtime visibility. Now, on the control plane side, the audit trail and all of that, that gives you far more envelope-level visibility to say what was started, what was stopped. But if there was something malicious, which is in the intent of the actual runtime, you can only do so by instrumentation from a DevOps cycle to say that time to time I'm transmitting logs, or you have the ability to tap into the actual runtime as in a Fargate to then figure out, is there an eBPF or similar hooking to understand while that task is running, what did it do from a system call level? We're working extensively with the partners, but we feel that moving forward, there'll be a really good way to get both runtime as well as control plane visibility of these serverless environments.
1: Thank you very much. Is there anything you want to add before we wrap up?
2: One of the things which we've started working on is a set of proactive security measures. They're truly in the realm of vulnerabilities, if you will, or audit findings, which help you score and assess to say, what does your real estate look like? How much of coverage do you have? And once you know what you have and you can start quantifying, the nice part of it is that you have the ability to burn it down towards a threshold, which allows you to improve your posture. Because if you are able to capture things and then somewhat quantify it, then you can know that there is a goal for the team to hit a target. And clearly by hitting the target, your posture improves. And then the more harder part is on the behavioral side because that's a little bit more nebulous in nature because short of some kind of a breach happening, how do you ensure that what you have is working or not? And the structured approach to what we have and the rules-based thing, we've been fortunate to come up with the approach to say that, okay, what's your real estate? What kind of volume and velocity of behavioral changes are you capturing and how many types of things based on MITRE and other standards are you subjecting yourself to? And if you did some kind of a purple test in there, did you see a spike in activity or not? So Quantifying that allows people to not only get the comfort that things are working, but it also makes a nice way to have internal conversations. And we've done it slightly in a pragmatic way. I thought this is something which is a topic which might be of interest to the security architecture and leadership which reports into the CISO organizations.
1: I think it's important. Or maybe we'll do a different session to talk about this one. Yes, also, thank you very much.
2: Thank you, guys. Very good. I appreciate the opportunity to, to be here. And of course, as you can imagine, we are uh, on www.uptics.com. There's a lot more to learn. We are happy to arrange for a unique approach for a desktop based self exploration. Or if you want to do a full park of what we have to offer, we are happy to do that with the listeners of your audience base. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast and join us for our next episode.